You're listening to a 3CR podcast. It's Radiothon time again at 3CR. This year marks 40 years of radical radio at 3CR, and we're asking you to keep us on air for another 40 years by donating your money to 3CR's Radical Radiothon, June 6 to 19. Call us on 03 9419 8377 or visit us online at 3cr.org.au. Enjoy your podcast. Welcome to Earth Matters, environmental justice stories from Australia and around the world. Produced in the studios of 3CR in Melbourne on Wurundjeri country and broadcast to stolen lands across this continent on the Community Radio Network. I'm Tisha Nahern. Feeling hopeless is an understandable response in the face of climate change. In fact, an emerging field of research is focusing on the mental health impacts of our changing climate. This can be in the wake of natural disasters such as floods and bushfires, but also the slower creeping effects like drought and displacement. On today's show, we're investigating the disproportionate impacts climate change will have on already vulnerable populations in Australia. Specifically, we'll be hearing about how marginalisation due to mental illness, age and gender can place people at a greater risk. Helen Berry is the adjunct professor of the Climate Change Institute at the Australian National University, and she has been leading research into the effects on mental health in this context. I started by asking her how she came to investigate this often overlooked public health impact. I was inspired to think about climate change and health by my former boss at the ANU, um, Tony McMichael, who sadly died a couple of years ago. But he introduced the world to the idea that climate change would influence health. And because he knew that I was interested in mental, mental health, he suggested that I think about that. And initially, my response was much like everybody else's response to me when I mentioned it was, you know what? <laughs> but um, but I did think about it, and the more I thought about it, the more I, I thought it was a really significant issue. And um, for a number of reasons, there, one, because mental health problems are the world's leading cause of disability, and they account for three times as much disability in Australian society as the next most um, harmful illness. So they're enormously common and they're enormously harmful. Most people don't know that um, one in five Australians, at least, um, has a significant mental health problem uh, um, any, in any one year, and uh, far more than that if you consider things like eating disorders and substance use disorders and so on, and the rates are much higher among young people. So, so I see mental health as a hugely important issue. And, uh, and of course, we all know that the world is, um, is warming, um, primarily because of human activity. And uh, as the climate changes, it's becoming more dangerous. And um, so I was thinking about how, how climate change might impact on mental health. And, and there are some, some obvious things to do with the fact that climate change is likely to increase the, um, the number of weather-related disasters that we experience and how long they last for and how often they happen and so on, so more and worse. 
and that seems to apply to to most weather related disasters of, of and especially heat waves of course which are Australia has lots of and so I was thinking well there are various different things that might impact on mental health because of that um one is that um obviously if people get get caught up in certain kinds of weather disasters such as very bad bushfires or floods or storms or you know that kind of thing they um they can be injured in those or they can witness other people being injured um even people that they that are very important to them and that can be traumatizing for people especially especially for children especially for people who already have mental health problems so um so being injured or 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 thinking that there's a really serious risk that you might be injured or seeing others injured all of those things can be traumatizing also if you are injured then um then that in itself can be traumatizing too and people often do experience um mental health some um, reactions if they do receive a serious injury or or they become severely ill or someone they're close to has that happen to them so those were some of the things i thought that might be quite obvious um others are that um um quite a lot of people with mental health problems um rely on um various medications to help them manage their their problems so they can lead um um lead their um fulfilling lives to the best possible level and some of those medications are not stable in very high temperatures um and um so during heat waves for example um lithium isn't stable over 30 degrees just as just as one example and um and also people um lose their medications in disasters so if your um house is burnt down by a fire or flooded or damaged very severely by a terrible storm or whatever then you can lose your medications in the rush to get out or in the damage that's done so um and it's very serious if you miss out on medications that are essential to your well-being so there were all of those things but i thought the most um interesting and possibly most damaging pathway was a was a very indirect one and um and what happens when communities experience repeated um serious disasters which we're starting to see piling up in some parts of australia so for example there might be a, a severe drought for many years and then there might be very severe flooding and then there might be a very severe heat wave and so on um when the disasters are the kinds of disasters that damage um land and property like droughts do and floods do and storms and so on then um then a couple of things happen in relation to the economic well-being of that that community or city or whatever it is that's been affected um one is that, that it costs the um the government an awful lot of money to put right the damage to public infrastructure like bridges and roads and courthouses and office buildings all that sort of thing and also to pay for the damage that um um for people who don't have insurance and and all those other sorts of things and then of course it also costs individuals an enormous amount um because often they're not insured or their insurance doesn't cover everything they need or um or they have a farm and it's destroyed or you know this sort of thing and um you know australia has a you know has a climate that that's very prone to climb to weather extremes and we do get a lot of droughts and we do get a lot of storms and heat waves and so on but what climate change is doing is increasing the number and duration and severity of those and therefore the risk of 
um, expensive damage happening too often, and that undermines um, governments' bank accounts and individual household bank accounts just the same. And once that starts to happen and people start to feel the um, financial and economic pressure where they're really struggling to make ends meet or um, they just can't afford to repair you know, their home or their, um, their business or their farm, um, then um, a couple of things happen. One is they start to stress really badly anyway, as anybody does under that kind of pressure. Um, but also they're investing a lot of time in fixing things up, so doing what they can to do their own repairs, get the farm going again, get the business up and running again, whatever it is they need to do. And they don't have the time or the energy to spend in social connections, um, seeing their friends, catching up with extended family, um, going along to their community activities or groups, you know, whatever it is they do. Uh, or would normally do if things weren't so tough. And um, when that happens, you start to get a, a breakdown of the social capital, social connectedness of people in a community. And it can be a community of place, like a neighbourhood or a rural town, um, that kind of thing. Or it can be an online community or a community of like-minded people who don't live near each other, but they gather for reasons to, to be together and so on. And um, when that happens... Um, that's a real disadvantage um, for mental health, a real threat to mental health, actually, because the absolute best thing for mental health um, uh, on a day-to-day -day level from the point of view of maintaining good mental health is good social connections. So having, um, having lots, of, um, lots of time with people you care about and that, that are good for, you, good for you in your life. So I see um, climate change as having the potential to, to threaten mental health in a range of different ways. Um, but I think that one via community ab um, impact, even though it's quite abstract, if you like, is, um, is the one that both worries me the most, but also the one that I think offers the most opportunities for growth. Climate change and its effects on mental health, uh, it's not an even distribution it affects some more than others and populations already vulnerable are more likely to be affected. Is, is that the case? Yes, that's exactly right. And, um, and they can be vulnerable in a couple of different ways. They can be vulnerable because of their own individual um, characteristics. So, for example, people living with multiple disadvantage or significant mental or physical health issues um, have a pre-existing vulnerability. Um, so do people who are very young or very old or um, living with a particular disability or all those things. So there are certain things about characteristics about individuals or populations of individuals that, that can make them more vulnerable because of who they are. But then there are places that are vulnerable too. So, for example, if you live on um, low-lying land near a river, you're much more likely to be flooded if there's a flood than if you live up the hill where you're safe. And, um, and, um, and of course, those two kinds of vulnerability or um, um, susceptibility tend to be linked. So it tends to be people who are wealthier who have large houses up there, up the hill with nice views, and, um, and people who... Um, don't have much in the way of economic advantage and other advantages who live in the lower lying areas. So you often get those, not always, you often, but you often get those going together.
So um, so what happens is people who start out with additional susceptibilities or vulnerabilities are more at risk of being impacted by climate change event, related events, so storms or fires or floods or whatever they are. And then, um, and then if they are, you know, they're more at risk of getting affected in the first place. And if they are, then the um, what we've also found in research is that the um, the size of the impact on those individuals is much greater than the impact on other people. So, um, so it's much harder to recover personally, um, as well as in terms of your um, social and economic circumstances. Professor Helen Berry of the Climate Change Institute at the Australian National University. You're listening to Earth Matters, Community Radio's National Environmental Justice Program. You perhaps wouldn't know it, but urban heatwaves are the most fatal kind of natural disaster, killing more people in Australia than bushfires, floods or cyclones. As we head towards yet another record-breaking year of warming globally, heatwaves are set to become an ever-increasing threat in Australia. Margarita Windich has been researching the social vulnerabilities associated with urban heatwaves, looking specifically at how age and gender affects mortality. My interest in this area really uh, unfolded, specifically around heatwaves, through my own personal experience of the 2009, the 2013 and 2014 heatwaves we experienced in southern Australia. And to be honest, I got quite frightened, I have to say. Um, and that really triggered my, my quite strong interest in trying to actually um, look more deeply into uh, the phenomenon of urban heatwaves and social vulnerability. And in a way, I guess what, what has become very obvious is that this is actually quite a uh, catastrophic area when we talk about loss of life, but um, nobody really seems to talk about it. And I, um, I very well respected ethnographer and social researcher in the United States. His name is Klinemang. He um, did wonderful work around the 1995 heat wave that happened in Chicago. And what he said was basically that heat waves are silent and invisible killers of silenced and invisible people. And um, that rings true very well still today. Um, the heat waves um, in, in post-industrial societies are responsible for something like 95% of all deaths from natural di- uh, disasters. And in Australia, we've had more deaths from heat waves uh, than all other natural hazards combined since colonialization. And um, the International Panel of Climate Change has also found that um, Australia needs to expect more people to be dying from heat waves in the future. And I guess what the research has uncovered is that the vast majority who are victims of heat waves are actually older people. And maybe that's partly why there's so little talk about it because, um, you know, in a kind of neoliberal society, um, older people are not necessarily valued because they're seen as unproductive. So um, that probably explains to some extent why there's not more uproar when we know that so many people die. And um, like, just want to outline, like in 2009, when we had the horrendous bushfires in Victoria that killed about 174 people, 
We had nearly double that, uh, people who died in the heat wave that occurred at that time. But nobody really talked about that. And, and I think that's, that warrants a lot of investigation. It's interesting that you bring up the bushfires, Margarita. I've been reading a document called The Impacts on Women's Health of Climatic and Economic Disasters. It's from 2014. discusses uh, bushfires and notes that in bushfires and, and post-bushfires, men are often seen um, as heroic and are valorised. And the work of women and also the effects on women is often ignored or downplayed which is interesting when also talking about heat waves as well. Oh, oh, look, absolutely. I mean, a lot of the... Re- I mean, look, there, there, there's still, I would suggest, there's the research in sort of around urban heat waves and social vulnerability is still more in its infancy. And I think partly it is definitely, I would suggest, connected to the fact that it's mainly older people who are the majority of victims. Uh, so that's connected to our current political state of affairs. But... What this research has also uncovered is that extreme heat risks, um, are, they are uh, old age, gender, social isolation and systemic disadvantage, which what I call the quadruple whammy. Um, and um, women, we have now enough evidence that we know that overall in most kind of urban heat waves, there's a higher rate of death for older women than for men. And it's not just um, older women, but I guess it's more specifically, like I said, older women who are poor and socially isolated. So we've seen some of the statistics, for instance, in there was a really, really brutal heat wave in 2003 in France where about 15,000 people died just in Paris alone. 65% of the victims were women. We've also uncovered in cities like um, in cities in Italy and Spain, uh, there was a higher death rate for poor and isolated elderly women than for men. And in Australia too, research has uncovered that it's women that are age 75 plus who are most at risk of heat waves. So I guess the question we can put to why is it that we don't know more? Why is it that the research is still quite limited on that? Because it does will affect in how we can prevent these deaths because they are all what's called excess deaths. They are otherwise people who might still live another five or ten years. And, and, and you know, and, and, and I think this is important that we highlight this, that in some ways um, the right is taken away from this particular subgroup of society to, you know, see out their... their you know, end of life in a dignified and, and beautiful way. And, and that's one of the reasons I'm also very interested in this work. What we're seeing is more and more that older women are becoming more and more poor. Um, and research has found that um, we have a significant growing number of Australian women who are heading into retirement age that are falling into poverty and housing stress. And because also of lack of superannuation, of high living costs, expensive housing, and you know the big wage gap that's played out over decades, and what that means is that poverty and housing stress, all of that, are actually increasing women's vulnerability to future heat waves. So um, this is an important area for us, I guess, as feminists and as, as you know as activists to kind of intervene in, to actually look in what we can do. And, and I think by actually 
even though old age is a key factor, I guess because of the aging process in people, you know, it changes their thermal regulation and all of that. But what we've started to see in a lot of the, in a lot of the kind of stories that have, have come through through ethnographic work and you know people working in communities, is that a lot of the key risk factors apart from old age are actually socially constructed. So what it means is it gives us the chance to actually say we can denaturalize disaster. So in other words, um, the, 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 the heat waves, that the high death rate of heat waves could be actually avoided if we look into what these other factors are that are outcomes of an unequal political system, I would suggest. I think it's really interesting the phrase that you use, denaturalizing disaster, because that really brings up the fact that we look at natural disasters as one purely natural and unavoidable and, in a strange sense, neutral and apolitical. Mm. Look, and I think by actually saying, oh, my God, you know, this is happening, also in heat waves, so many people die, it's kind of, but by saying neutral, we kind of say it's kind of avoidable, no? And by saying it's kind of unavoidable or inevitable, we are basically saying uh, the kind of the different systems of oppression that people experience that expose them to higher risk, that makes them die earlier, such as, you know, sexism, um, uh, other social disadvantage, which is through class or even, you know, race. We're kind of saying that's okay and we don't actually need to look into changing government policies or structures. And I think by actually looking deeper into the social kind of elements of heatwave fatalities, we can also see the role of the state in helping to create this or not working hard enough to avoid them. So, for instance, we do know uh, through some of the work that's being done that there's clusters of, you can say, in urban areas too, where people are more vulnerable to heat. And what are these clusters? They are in suburbs that have lower socioeconomic, um, uh, you know, uh, resources, uh, where there's more older people living in maybe also public housing that's badly constructed or there's no kind of escape from the heat. And also in densely built up areas that we know trap the heat. Um, so what is government doing about this? You know, this is the question we need to ask. I mean, what can the community do about it? But also, we need to put responsibility on our federal and state governments to say, what are you actually doing in terms of public health policy to actually minimise the high death rates we are experiencing in these disasters, which are just about utterly avoidable? Turning our attention to climate change explicitly now, what can people who are concerned about climate change, people who are involved in environmental activism, learn from uh, your research and the introduction of a feminist perspective on heat waves? Look, I, I think you know a lot of climate activists already have wonderful knowledge and I have learned from a lot of them. And hopefully, I mean, one of the things I can help contribute through talking about the experiences of, you know, um, marginalised groups in societies, and especially in this case, older women, is um, that in order for us to reduce um, 
the kind of high fatality rates, we need to look at what's wrong with the current context of our politics and how we live as a community. One of the key protective factors to avoid death in the heat wave for older people is actually social connectivity. So in other words, what I would argue to you for climate activists, for feminists, everybody, we need to rebuild a sense of community. And that's counterintuitive to neoliberalism. Because neoliberalism, which in lots of ways I would argue, is actually you know, very responsible for climate change and heat waves, um, that uh, fundamentally we need to rebuild community. And by actually rebuilding community, we connect with each other, we can learn from each other, and we can uh, develop, I would argue, a kind of common sense of what kind of future we want to create. And that will also give us uh, encouragement and strength to actually tackle um, our socioeconomic system, which I really think is, is at the heart of a lot of our crisis. We need a rapid transition to renewable energy. I, I think that is fundamental for us, a rapid transition to renewable energy. And then we need to start creating spaces for people that are safe and cool. A lot of people can't afford, for instance, to just heat their, uh, to cool their little places with air conditioning. It's too expensive for them. But also, it actually doesn't reduce greenhouse gas emissions. I think we need to look at how can we create community spaces where we connect socially isolated elderly women and at the same time we can be together, cool down together, lives and work together to create a better society for our future. Margarita Windich. You've been listening to Earth Matters, Australia's weekly environmental justice program for community radio. I'm Tisha Nahern. If you missed any of today's show, you can find our podcasts at 3cr.org.au forward slash earthmatters. Earth Matters would like to thank the Community Broadcasting Foundation for their financial support and the Community Radio Network for getting the program out to you. Earth Matters is produced in the studios of 3CR in Melbourne on Wurundjeri country. You can contact us at earthmatters3cr.org at gmail.com or via Facebook. I hope you can tune in next week for more Earth Matters. You've just been listening to a podcast produced at 3CR Community Radio.
2016 marks 40 years that 3CR has been bringing you independent community voices and we're asking you, our listeners, to keep us going for another 40 years by donating to our Radical Radiothon this June 6th to the 19th. This year, we need to make $220,000. So any amount you can afford makes a big difference. Call us on 03 9419 or donate online at 3cr.org.au. Thanks for supporting Community Radio.